Hey, welcome to the Unqualified Scholar Podcast. Once again, I'm joined with my good friends, Dr. Michael McKay, talking about Psalm 6 today. Last week, we talked about Psalm uh, 127, a psalm of ascent, where you're standing on the steps of Jerusalem, uh, surrounded by the political and social pressures of the day, and you are supposed to remember that you're there for your kids, uh, your grandkids. It was a good reminder for me personally. Uh, I needed that last week. And so this week, I'm, I'm coming up on preaching Psalm 6. And as part of my process, it's only Tuesday, so I haven't really gotten deep in the weeds with this guy yet. But uh, Psalm 6 is about, it's a lament. It's an individual lament. And it, it's from someone who's very, very sick. So Michael, any, anything spring to mind right off the bat about an individual lament from somebody who's sick? Well, it, I mean, it did strike me in contrast to last, uh, last psalm that, you know, the heading of the last psalm really put it in a kind of a corporate social outing. They're all, you know, climbing up to Jerusalem. It's a celebration. There's songs that are being sung. And then, and then you know, as you just mentioned, it, this one's a lament. It's, it's private. Um, there's not a I mean, I'm not trying to say that they didn't sing it publicly, but his lament is between himself and the Lord, and um, that's not really a social outing that the, the heading tells us about. Uh, here's an individual who's crying out to God, bring me relief, you know, and um, rescue me. All of these words are kind of embedded in that. So, yeah, and having gone through my own um, bit of physical trauma in the last year, you know, I it is easy to sympathize with with the author here. Yeah, that, I, I did think about that in terms of, of your story and, and even in terms of application of being sick. Let me read let me read the psalm here. It's only 10 verses. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. So yeah, it's pretty pretty clear that the, the psalmist is in, in agony, in physical agony. And I, as I read the first verse and reflected on that, you know... Um, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. I, I think there's a theology here that is worth discussing. Um, what is God's relationship to sickness or calamity? Hmm. Yeah, it would be wrong to equate them one to one um, in the sense that, well, like the disciples did with Jesus, you know, they... Uh, the Tower of Siloam fell on some people and killed, I believe, 18 of them. And uh, then I think Jesus, when he's answering them, you know, he talks about the 
the blood that Pilate mixed with the offerings that those were going in. And Jesus's point was, do you think that that those people who've had terrible things happen to them were any worse, you know, sinners than anyone else? And the answer was no, you know, and Jesus says, you need to correct your thinking here. You're going to, you're going to suffer likewise. So there's not a one-to-one correlation, although I think we're all aware of, hey, if we, there are certain sins and behaviors we do that can have incredible physical damage to us and put us in danger. So you can you can easily draw a correlation between some behavior and and pain and death and say that they're causal that way. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah like I, I like you your question. Fast with no seatbelt and you get into a car accident. That's right. right. You know that's kind of easy to see that there's a causal relationship here. It's you did dumb stuff. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of when I was younger. My friends and I would shoot Roman candles at each other for fun. You know, (laughs) thankfully, none of us got hurt, but uh, I think our parents would have easily seen the causal connection between shooting Roman candles and someone getting burned. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, fortunately, you're not throwing, you know, water balloons full of gasoline at the same time. That's That's right. Keep those hobbies separate. Yes. Yeah, I think that's really good because we, and I think that's important to understand from the, from the literature of the Psalms. Um, it's not so much concerned, especially in a lament, and a third of the Psalms are laments. So this is a very common genre. It's not so much uh, a correct theology at the outset, like it comes back to good theology, it comes back to trusting God. But in the in the midst of like being in that location of agony, you're just crying out to God, hey, stop crushing me, you yeah. know, because you're you're feeling it. And that's one of the things that's so hard about Psalms from our preaching perspective. You want to recreate the emotional component for the people in the room. And sometimes that's hard because you will have people in the room who are being crushed by physical ailments. You know, if it's two weeks or three weeks or maybe a month after your your heart event, you know, the first time you're back to church, you don't want to have Psalm 6 be your first sermon. You know, because it's going to be like, hey, if God's crushing you with a physical ailment and you're, you know, you're coming from that situation, it can be really hard. And, and you have to be pastorally sensitive to to say, hey, we've all cried out in the midst of illness. Yeah. When I was a child, I would get um, ear infections from swimming. And so it was just it was agonizing and there was nothing that would take the pain away. And so I think that's the moment that this psalm starts with. Um, I think, who is it, Foucault, who talks about orientation, disorientation, and reorientation in the Psalms. I know it was picked up by Brueggemann in the commentary I've been reading about this stuff. And um, this starts with disorientation. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, right out of the gate, the person is expressing their pain. What, What did you think about how the author it almost seems to be a bit of a shift towards the middle and the end of the psalm where he starts talking about his enemies. Did you make any kind of textual connection? I mean, there is some repetition there that I'd like to talk about later, but I don't know. I'm just curious about your thoughts on the uh, the link between the pain he's undergoing and whether it's metaphorical or physical, because then he, he definitely does bring in his enemies at the end. And and the lament becomes almost a, um, 
you know, kind of a charge or an attack against them to mm. a warning, if you want to say it that way. Well, isn't it natural? And don't we see this in the book of Job that, you know, Job's friends come to comfort him and they're like, you must be sinning, repent. And mm. Job's wife says, curse God and die, just call it done. You know, so um, maybe this is an answer to those people who have come around, you know, to visit you in your illness and maybe to offer bad advice. Yeah, I mean, Job would definitely fit that as a, as a paradigm, that's for sure. And, and Job is the book, you know, that we talk about retribution theology, this idea of when you do bad things, the hammer falls and you suffer judgment. And when you do good things, you're blessed. And so Job is actually, as a, as a piece of literature, is combating that and saying, look, it's not automatic. Good people, in other words, people who are obedient to the Lord and love the Lord, they still suffer. Um, and evil people who are rebellious to the Lord, they don't often see the hammer fall or we don't see it fall like we would expect. And so wouldn't that uh, be great? Like if, yeah, that's right. like if you had an enemy and you're like, okay, Lord, fire and brimstone. Yeah. And, and, instant and, justice. Yeah, instant justice. Um, yeah. And I think that's where a friend of mine wrote a book and he, he had a, a, a negative experience with uh, the justice system. Mm. And at the end of his book, he talks about it. And he says, the justice system isn't just. It just is. And so when we think about cosmic justice, I think that's what we really hang a lot of hope on mm. because we do want God to, 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 to bring justice to the world. I mean, and it really isn't, it's really not, it's universal politically. So people on the left and yeah. the right all want justice. That's they right. Just maybe have a different focal point in that. Mm. One of the things, uh, so I've taken on this new job at Shoreline, and one of the things that is on the radar, and I don't know how, how certain this is, but apparently there's a kind of an open air apple festival in October where the church does church. And so I've been thinking about, okay, what would I, what would I say in a public forum like that, where you're speaking to people from everything? Mm. And I think that's where I would start. The is ought distinction. We're not satisfied with the world as it is because we recognize that it ought to be better. And yeah. that's universal. That's and right. What is the source of that ought? It's God. Yeah. You know, I mean, even in Psalm 6 here, this guy is crushed with a physical debilitating problem. And he doesn't, he recognizes that that's not the way that it ought to be. Yeah. Yeah, and he's interpreting it as the Lord's anger, the Lord's wrath, but it doesn't really say for sin. Like, I didn't pick that up in the psalm where he's maybe connecting the dots between a sin that he did and the Lord's anger against him. I mean, this is a bit different than, you know, like Psalm 51, where there's a confession of sin. Uh, this one, we're not really sure what brought, brought along the circumstances that the author finds himself in. Um, could could be sin, uh, but it may be just that he's looking at uh, his physical calamity and thinking, hey, maybe maybe this is the Lord's judgment for something or correction for something. Uh, it's kind of ambiguous that way, though. Mm. 
Yeah, I think that that's where um, you're absolutely right. He's not being very specific. Mm -hmm. But I think verse two, like it really comes back around to, um, okay, there's this possibility of wrath and anger that could be training me towards something. However, Lord, mercy, you know, mercy me. Uh, I'm faint. Heal me. I'm in agony. My soul, I mean, even down to the depths is in anguish. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm always uncomfortable with some of the language of lament because even right here, it says, turn, Lord, and deliver me. So in verse four, and I don't, I didn't, I don't have the Hebrew in my brain or even close to my brain anymore because that's my brain. But it certainly looks like those are imperatives, turn, yes. deliver. Mm -hmm. And so in that imperative, like it's telling God, do this. Right. And that always makes me twitch a little bit. Yeah. No, you're right. They are. There's a series of imperatives there. And I think deliver, you save. I think you even mentioned last time on our podcast. Um, I don't remember who you were reading, but you kind of read a little bit of an introduction to the Psalter. Um, and one of the things that stood out to me from what you were reading is, is um, that how the Psalms help provide language for us yeah. to be able to express deep emotion. So, yeah. yeah, not everybody has got an extensive vocabulary. And then even if you do and you want to cry out to God, you know, there might be something keeping you from using terms because you might feel that oh those are that would be ungodly or that would be um you know i wouldn't be respecting god to say that and i th i think it is helpful here when we read the psalmist and we see the passion and the heart and the language that he uses and can hear the imperatives you know um and we say hey he's providing a grammar for me to be able to use in my own lament and that there's an appropriateness to it. Of course, there is a humility with it as well. It's not demanding things of God. I'm, I'm not saying that. I don't think the psalmist is either, because it's very clear that he is dependent on the Lord as the mm -hmm. psalm progresses. But boy, you really do get a sense where he's just 100% out there. You know, <laughs> this yeah. is what I want. I'm not beating around the bush. The raw, naked emotion of someone who is sick of being yep. sick. You know, so in your in your experience, in your heart experience, did you get to that point where you were just just sick of being sick? I know that because I know you, I think the overriding emotion for you was thankfulness to God that your life was preserved through this horrendous event. But did you ever get sick of being sick? Um, that has come more, I think. So since my a medical issue was just a sudden instance on a Saturday, I had no preparation for it. It's not like my physical health degenerated over time. I think it would be a bit more, I think that would be more of a temptation if it, if it had been that way, you know, mm -hmm. someone who has cancer, um, you know, and they see their body slowly um, suffering as they take chemo and all that. I mean, mine was instant. So I had a lot of joy after the fact because I was still alive and yeah. uh, a lot of gratitude and that overwhelmed me for months. And then now that I'm um, kind of processing still some of the damage that's been done from that, now is where I find myself with a little more lament, to be honest. Um, and I, you, you and I personally have talked about this, but 
you know, just there are some things that I'll never be able to do that I was, I enjoyed doing before my surgery. Uh, and those are losses. There's no doubt about it. And, um, and I, I feel comfortable asking the Lord to restore me to full health. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I don't think he will. I mean, I don't, uh, there's no promises in God's word that he will do that for me. And um, he has promised to sustain me even in the midst of, of the new me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The new normal. That's right. Yeah. But I think that's where, like, for me, the Psalter just like talking about that grammar of lament, that grammar, like even now, though your body is healing and you're doing great, um, you even look good, I mean, relatively speaking. <laughs> dead is worse than what you are now so that's right (laughs) um you know but but there is that language there that you you have permission to speak to god in a way that maybe you're not even comfortable with right and i think for people who are who are like verse six i'm worn out from my groaning my couch is flooded with my tears you know and you know god's not so God is not so distant from your experience in a, in a lost and broken world, in a world where sometimes things don't make sense. Right. That's what the Psalms of disorientation are for. Mm. It gives you permission to just lose it with God. Yeah. And then understand that he is, his character is such that he can take that and still respond in a loving and good way because we're his people. He cares for us. Yeah. Um, those are reassuring thoughts. Yeah. My granddaughter was over the other day and um, she was, uh, she's, she's kind of toddling in and out. So she goes out, she plays on the swing, she comes back in. And so she had been gone for a minute and it's like, wait a minute, where is she? So I found her in the front yard pointing at the neighbor who was driving around on her tractor, cutting the grass and she was crying because she wanted to go ride on the tractor with my neighbor. <laughs> and so I scooped her up and of course she's mad and she's crying and she's just, she's just having the moment. And it's like, it's okay. I understand. You want something that you can't have. Mm. <clears throat> and you know, like you don't discipline a child for that kind of thing. Yeah. You pick them up and you love them in the middle of it. And I think that's, that's why God has these Psalms in the Bible. Yeah. For a long time, I, I sort of skipped over the Psalms. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, songs of ancient Israel moving on. There's not really a whole lot of theological value, if you will. Sure. <laughs> but the older that I've gotten and the more that I've experienced uh, life and death and people around me going through really hard stuff, the more I really love and appreciate the Psalms. Yeah. Now, my, my experience is almost the exact same. Yep. Uh, I've did not appreciate the value of what they of what they brought. So I always wondered why why is it the most popular book for Christians? You know, Christians love reading the Psalms, not not just in the modern era, but historically. In fact, you know, I mean, just to nerd out a little bit, uh, the New Testament authors themselves primarily quote from Deuteronomy, Psalms, and Isaiah. I mean, most of their Old Testament quotations come from uh, those three books. So the Psalter was incredibly meaningful, not just as a theological book, but as a, I think as a word book to be able to uh, provide that grammar. Mm. 
it reminds me of a chapel I heard where one of my colleagues was speaking on a lament psalm. This was probably four or five years ago. And um, it's funny, you know, you hear a lot of sermons over your lifetime and, and the ones that stick are for a reason. And this one has stuck with me. Um, but he was talking about how he lost a good friend of his to cancer when he was younger and about how lament psalms provide this language for us to be able to express ourselves to God. It was a very comparable thought to what you brought up last week. And um, I remember thinking that, you know, sometimes you can grow up in a household where people don't allow you to express pain um, and feelings of hurt, or like you said, your granddaughter, you know, disappointment. Yeah, uh, We kind of say, hey, look, you need to buck up, or you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, or you need to just get over it. That's life. But those are not really the what, what the biblical Psalms uh, point us to. They, right. we, we have a lot of freedom to be able to express a range of emotion and to think through that properly. In fact, we're kind of called to do that in, in a lot of ways by the Psalms. That's good. Yeah. Well, I will, pro oh, um, that's all I got. Yeah, when I looked at the Greek uh, version of the Psalm, you know, I know we had kind of wanted to make a point each week to see what that translation has. There's not a whole lot of differences, to be honest, with what the Hebrew has here. And just for your listeners, if they're interested, this we usually call the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. Um, and the, the uh, Septuagint wasn't compiled by the time of Jesus and the apostles' days, but uh, the New Testament, because it was written in Greek, often uh, always appeals to, um, I, sh I should say it this way, since it's always written in Greek, it's always using Greek texts. Mm -hmm. Some of these come directly from what we would call the Septuagint. Um, yeah, it's just some minor differences, but it's interesting how this one really came over very literally. But I, I did notice one thing that's interesting in both the Hebrew and the Greek. Um, the word trouble is repeated at the beginning and the end, and it kind of forms a frame around which to see uh, what's going on. So um, Look at verse three in your English Bible. You know, my soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O oh Lord, how long? Um, and then he goes on at the end of the psalm, and he says, all my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. And those are not the only two uses of the word in the psalm, but they do frame kind of the beginning and the end. And whoever did the Greek translation saw that. And uh, also followed suit. And in the Greek, it's the same thing. It's the word tasso to, to trouble. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it, uh, it's, a, it's a helpful frame there for reading, hey, this is trouble, physical, and maybe something else with his friends. It's a bit hard to discern. Yeah. Uh, but his solution is right in the middle, you know, calling out to God, looking to God for salvation, rescue. I am in anguish, but I will trust the Lord. Yeah. And if you don't trust the Lord, you will be in anguish. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well said. Pastor. And also, <laughs> that's right. That's why you're the pastor. That's even better. <laughs> well, and that's where, like, you know, I used vanities and sanities last week for the sermon because it talks, the word vain comes out a lot. 
and actually I closed with um, there's a song the cats in the cradle right remember mm -hmm. by Henry Chapin and then ugly kid Joe did a version and actually oh, that's right. a rap song yeah yeah the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon and so I use that as my as my end you know and the album that that comes off of is I think Verities and Balderdash oh. and so I was like oh I could have I could have just riffed on the um, the album title um, because what you're trying to do, like in a sermon, people will not remember the details. You and I will get into the weeds and we'll talk about details because that's we've been educated and trained to kind of get there. Mm -hmm. But then when we bring it to people who are going to just walk it around all week, we just need to give them a hook. And so that idea of trouble in the NIV, it's anguish. Mm -hmm. um, and so having something that that does that really and that's a beautiful point about the psalm it's in hebrew it's in it's in greek it should be in english and it certainly should be in your sermon that you begin and end with anguish your anguish their anguish following god trusting god in the midst of anguish refusing to trust in god and that leads to anguish yeah yeah that's true and it's interesting, you know, we say trust, trusting God there. Um, someone made a comment at church this Sunday that prompted me to think about how we sometimes um, express that in English. And we're not really talking about trusting God for a specific conclusion. In other words, God has not made promises that he will deliver us from, or I should, maybe I should, we should just say from the psalm. The psalmist is not saying that God has promised that he'll deliver him from physical infirmity or from his enemies, but this, he is asking for that, and he's trusting in the character of God, the person of God. He's So at the end, even though we don't necessarily see him um, get some relief, we do see that his focus, is his expectation is on the, the person and character of God as the one that he is going to appeal to, to, to get through this, um, whatever it is. Yeah, what's interesting is, like, he's never healed in the psalm. Hmm. Like, uh, away from me, so when, when he makes the turn back to trusting God, <coughs> away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. But that, he doesn't say that God has healed his physical body. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. Now we, the Lord accepts my prayer. So we're kind of have to read into that. Yeah. You know, we have to read into that and say, oh, he must have gotten better. Um, but he never says that. That's right. And so maybe the shift is not, and, and maybe this is where the psalmist is brilliant because the psalm works whether you're healed or not. That's right. And the psalm works whether you, like we're Christians, we believe that a year ago had you died, god forbid but if it had happened then you would have entered into the presence of the lord immediately right and and you would be experiencing a much better day even than today you know that's right um and that's where i think the psalm works for even people who are in the midst of it who aren't going to recover and pastorally you know i do deal with folks who are dying yeah you know? and so this is something i would want to take in, take with me into that room and say, let me tell you about Psalm 6. That's right. You know, God will hear. That doesn't mean that you're going to get all better. You know, and I think that's a simplistic theology of recovery. 
Yeah. So sometimes it isn't going to be all better. Sometimes you are going to die. That's right. And that's where you can still say, hey, the Lord has heard my weeping. Yeah. Maybe my deliverance is the ultimate deliverance. Yeah. And and kind of throw your lot in lot in with what God's doing. You know, I mean, you, yeah. you're you're joining his side. And so that's where your rescue and deliverance are going to come in whatever format, you know, whether the Lord ends up taking the psalmist's life or he ends up healing him and freeing him from his enemies. Um, I think the psalmist, like you said, there's a brilliance in the in the psalm psalmist because he's He's not actually giving you the ending because that's not what's important. What's important right. is the middle. The middle is, uh, hey, I'm looking to the Lord and all of this. My eyes are fixed on him or at least whatever eyes he's got left. Because I, it is kind of funny. He says, my eyes waste away because of grief or seven. It's all, you know, he his lament is so strong that he's like kind of rubbed them raw. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. figuratively, his faith is on on the Lord. Well, and that's where, like, uh, so in research about blindness in the ancient world, they thought that blindness was a result of a moral failing inside you. Mm. So you couldn't see because there was no light in your soul to you to power your eyes. Okay. And so when you when you die, uh, you literally can see the light go out of uh, someone's eyes. Or if you kill an animal, you can see the light go out of their eyes. And so he's like, my eyes are weak with sorrow, but also like the light's going out. You know, it's I'm at the point where this is it. You know. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah. well, on that encouraging note, <laughs> that's right. Uh, I'm glad you, my friend, are healthy and whole, and I hope that it lasts for a long time. Yeah. And if you're tuning in and you've been depressed by this psalm, you can reach out to either one of us, I guess, and we'll certainly pray with you. And certainly, if there's a time where you need to pray Psalm 6, you can ask God, turn, Lord, and deliver me, save me, because of your unfailing love, because God certainly does love us. All right, you ready? <laughs>